0: Got a Bible, please turn to uh, 1 Corinthians. We are in the middle of our Church Gone Wrong series, and uh, we've been working our way through this chapter by chapter. And we have come upon 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, most of you, if you've ever been to a wedding, you have heard this chapter, right? Because this is pretty well quoted at weddings, and uh, we actually talk about it a little bit. But last week, we were talking about how uh, the church here at Corinth was an extremely, um, you know, fleshly church. They were in uh, very much so very talented. They had a lot of gifts, but yet their spiritual life wasn't matching up with their gifts. And sometimes, you know, your um, gifts uh, in the beginning look more valuable than spiritual fruit. And, and so your gifts will bring you down a road to where if the fruit's not there backing it up, that it turns into more of a worldly type uh, show or entertainment. Which would have been right up the alley of the Corinthians, right? Because it was right in the middle of a carnival-like atmosphere. Um, the saying was, "Live like a Corinthian." You know, so it was uh, obviously a obviously a, a something that the world looked to that city. Um, but what a great place to plant a church as well, right? And to um, share the gospel with people who really needed to hear the gospel and to see converts come to know Christ and. You know, for a lot of young believers, and especially believers that are saved out of a real uh, background that was steeped in, you know, their culture, um, the initial process of that happening is a lot of excitement, right? A lot of fervor, a lot of, you know, a lot of um, uh, just uh, energy. But eventually, uh, what happens as a young believer, and it happens to all of us, it happens to everyone who becomes a Christian, is that newness kind of wears off. You know, I like to describe it as, you know, you you have a baby in the hospital and you're so excited until they tell you you got to take it home, right? And then you take it home and the first couple nights it's not sleeping and the first couple nights you can't get it to eat and the first couple nights you can't do this and you can't do that and all of a sudden you're like, what did we do? You know, like this is crazy. And so, but as you work through that and you kind of have that downer, um, you learn, hey, sometimes they're going to cry, sometimes they're going to be upset, sometimes they're going to get sick, sometimes they're going to... And you become more mature in how to handle the kids. So when you have your second one, it's like, okay, bring them home, no problem. You know, and you still go through a little bit of that. But by the time you have your third one, you bring them home and say, feed her, take care of her, you know, all that stuff. So um, Courtney got the short end of the deal on that one. So we didn't cater too much to Courtney. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing what you do for your first child that you don't do for your third child. Or, your, you know, your, some of you got four or five um, children as well. So it, it's, it's what you see in these Christians is the same way. They're excited. They want to learn. They want to do this. They're eager. But they don't have the maturity. And unfortunately, Paul was a church planter. So he, uh, as a missionary, started the church. But then he traveled on. He moved on. And so um, the leaders that were there were um, shortly overcome, which is a great warning for any church and any family, any denomination, that at any time the devil or the enemy is ready to attack it um, through false teachings. I mean, if if the first century church dealt with false doctrine, how much more so do we have to deal with it now? You know, if they dealt with people, you know, being led away by, uh, you know, false teachings and false doctrines, you know, uh, things, and so much more now, and so as we have new converts, we must be, we must realize that, and and as those who are spiritually mature, those who have been uh, discipled, we got to make sure we disciple the next ones, but in this church, they didn't have disciples that were mature. They were new too, new leaders, new, new, I mean, the whole structure was new, and so uh, word got out to Paul that Corinth had been acting up, right? And so uh, someone either wrote him a letter and gave him a list of all the things the church of Corinth do and on uh, him. right? We call those tattletales. They, they snitched on him. So, um, and, and so Paul, as a good pastor, he was heartbroken because, you know, they said some mean things about Paul too. They were like, you know, this Paul, you know, can we really trust him? Do you know he, what he used to do? Do you remember he was Saul that used to persecute Christians and stuff? So Paul's claiming to be an apostle, but he's not really who he says he is. And he's not as smart as you think he is either. You see how slow he talked and how he had to, you know, look at his Bible. And now we have these uh, polished, you know, speakers and entertainers. And we have all this other stuff that's come in now and being a part of our church. And so they were falling for it. They were falling for the eye candy. They were falling for, you know, the, the entertainment, the show. So Paul decides to write him a letter. And Paul, um, as a good pastor, he, he encourages them. He tears them down and then he really tears them down, and then he begins to build them back up by the time we get done with the letter. But as we're working our way through the letter, he's still tearing them down in chapter 13, and he gets to this uh, turning point in chapter 13, kind of like a, a breath of fresh air, because he was really tearing them, about, tearing them down about a lot of things, but he shared what they could look to in their life and in their church's life that would be something that would be a mark of maturity. It would be something that they can look to. And this is, applies to a church, but this also applies to individual believers. This also applies to a family that loves God. Um, this maturity mark of love is a big deal. And, and it's a big deal to churches. It's a big deal to families who love God. It's a big deal to individuals. And so as we look to this, we realize that you know, in, the, in the Greek language, there was different words for love. And the, the love that Paul is describing here is agape love. And uh, we talk about love a lot. Uh, biblical love, agape love, is God's love. God is love, and when you get saved, you get God's love. And if you're going to love people, you're going to love your spouse. You're going to love your kids the way God loves them. And you got to have God inside of you, right? Uh, it's impossible to love people without uh, with God's love, without God's love in your own heart. And so, as He begins to describe this love, it's radically different than what they see in the culture. And uh, today, when we talk about love, Um, you know, we realize that the love that the Bible talks about is radically different than our culture. And, you know, our kids hear things like, oh, you know, uh, you know, I love you, you know, and I I want to date you and I want to this, when really they could say, I lust you, right? Because love is a sacrifice. Love is a commitment. You know, lust is temporary. Lust is um, fleeting. And in the Greek language, it had a word called eros, which is just a sensual kind of love for a person or an object or worldly things. And so Paul's not talking about that kind of love. And In our culture today, when we talk about love, this is the kind of love that we're talking about. This is the kind of love that marks a true church or marks a Christian that's moving into maturity. And so Paul is trying to get them over the hump. He's trying to get them to see past um, these spiritual gifts, obviously, that were in the church, extremely talented, extremely um, people that were wanting to do well. But now Paul's saying, I want you to see the long picture. I want you to see the maturity level that you're going to need to get to. And every church from this uh, time forward needs to get to in their walk uh, with the Lord. And so um, he he opens up chapter 13 and he explains us talking about uh, different uh, gifts like the tongues. And he was talking about prophecy. And he was talking about uh, you know, knowledge, and he was talking about faith, and he was talking about, we talked about all these last week and uh, two weeks ago as well, but chapter four, I mean, verse four comes in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and he, he begins to give us a laundry list of descriptions of agape love, and we worked our way through them. I'm just going to go through some of the cliff notes by him and we'll just, you know, finish up our list tonight as we work our way through the rest of the chapter. But he begins by saying, love suffers long. And uh, a good word we could use for that is patience, right? Um, love is patient. It's not, um, it's not impatient. It's not, uh, it, it, it's not flies off the handle. It suffers long with people and situations, um, especially people that annoy you or people that get under your skin or people that may do something to offend you. You know, love has that ability to hold. The heat in you know the word is thermos or macro thermos, like, uh, like we have a thermal that keeps in the heat and doesn't react in the flesh um, what's uh, always runs through our heart or our mind and uh, this is tough as a Christian, right because a lot of times things go through your mind and they don't need to seat themselves in our heart and certainly don't need to come out of our mouth right and uh, a lot of times we say, oh I didn't mean to say that but the Bible says what's in your heart comes out of your mouth so obviously you meant to say that because it was in your heart and you might be. You might want to be forgiven of that, but it was at least at one point in your heart and it comes out your mouth. Then we got to be really, really careful um, about what we, how, we, how we act towards people. And true love suffers long. It is long suffering. And for those that are married, you know, it takes a lot of long suffering, right? It takes a lot of adjusting. It takes a lot of loving someone and then them loving you um, through your weaknesses, through your difficulties. At church, it takes a lot because. Sometimes you might not click with somebody in their personality. You might, they might rub you the wrong way. They might not, uh, you know, do things that you like. And so um, that being able to hold that in without having a fleshly reaction, that's a gift. That's a, that's a sign of God's kind of love. Um, Also, uh, love is uh, kind. Um, This is just the outward working of the, uh, the uh, long suffering in your heart. So as you have patience inside, you have kindness on the outside. So you're able to treat people in a kind way, even though something inside of your heart or doesn't sit well. you're still able to be kind to be gentle. Um, they move on love does not envy um it does not want what other people have and unfortunately, when we don't love people, um, we don't want to see them do good right um and And when we get envious of somebody or we get jealous of someone um that's the that's the first thing we want to we want We want them to do a little worse than us, right? And if you really want to know if you love somebody, let them succeed and see if you're happy for them, okay? <laughs> that's a that's a good test. And so it's not, hey, they get more than this, or why do they get the promotion, or why do they have the nicer car? Why do they get these things? It's not envy, being envious after all these things. It's just that as true love from God, you're content with what God has done in your life, and you have no desire to be envious of someone else or something else in their life. So it's, it's long-suffering, it's kind, um, it, it does not envy, it does not parade itself. Um, I was just a great example of that as you watch any sports show or any type of football game or basketball game, someone makes a shot, someone makes a touchdown, they're, you know, pointing at the back of their jersey like their names, you know. When I was growing up, you didn't get your name on the back of the jersey because you played for the name on the front of your jersey, right? You played for the team. You played for the school. But nowadays, it's all individuals, like pointing to, you know, pointing to our backs. And unfortunately, in our culture, that's what we promote. We promote our kids to be selfish. We promote our, you know, our families to be first. And we promote people in the church to say, hey, you know, we, want to be, we want to be first. We want to be above everyone else. We want to um, you know, be, push ahead and get, get ahead of all these things. But you know, love doesn't do that doesn't parade itself. Um, Love is not puffed up. Um, Those are the, uh, you know, um, those that um, are just conceited or those that, um, as you know, think they're better than anyone else. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes uh, in our walk with Christ, as we get a lot of knowledge, as Paul will also deal with that later on, you know, information doesn't mean transformation all the time. And just because you have a lot of education or you have a lot of understanding, Um, There is book sense, and then there's common sense, you know, and so um, just because you have a lot of knowledge, you have so it doesn't make you puffed up or better than others that you're not, you're willing to do what, uh, you know, everyone else would do, you know, there's no separation between um, the saints, there's no ranks um, per se, Uh, also uh, verse 5, does not behave rudely, Um, that's pretty self-explanatory, does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, uh, meaning that it's not easily um, you know, uh, provoked as far as um, ready to um, give up on it and turn it to another emotion or thing, thinks no evil. And uh, so when we get to verse 6 here, that's where we left off. And So I want to um, start thinking about this um, as we move forward to these last um, verses and description of it. He, uh, we're going to pick up with, does not rejoice in iniquity. That's an interesting statement, right? So true love uh, and love from God does not rejoice in iniquity. Iniquity is just a longer word for sin. Um, it's a shortcoming. It's something that is uh, against God's will. It's something that's against God's word. And so he's saying true love from God does not rejoice in iniquity. Like you don't sin and enjoy it. You know, like we don't celebrate that we sin. And sometimes you no, know, we classify sin in churches sometimes, right? Like, oh, you know, this guy that comes in, and he's obviously got this major sin, and, you know, you look at him and go, oh, he's a sinner, you know, but we also come in, and we gossip with no problem. We're like, man, uh, we, we were talking about this the other day. Well, <laughs> should have been talking about it, because you're gossiping, right? But, and the other part is worrying. Like, you know, we come in, I was up all night worrying, Really? Well, You just said you was up all night sinning, so it would have been no different than doing the other things. So, I mean, it, it means there that we, we should not rejoice at any type of sin, and any type of sin that's in someone's life, we shouldn't promote that. And this is hard because, you know, in the world that we live in, the same culture that we see in the Corinth church here, there, there is uh, definitely sin that is specifically mentioned in the Bible that's non-negotiable, and yet, when you have that type of sin and you have someone who sins that way or in your church or as a part of a body of Christ, it's not something that we should rejoice in. Like, yeah, you know, that's, we still, that's still love. Like, you know, love has these boundaries. And that's what I love because, you know, in Deuteronomy, this goes along with right what we're teaching, what Paul's teaching us here in the New Testament is that, the old, you know, the Old Testament and the commandments were not a list of rules to keep it was conditions to keep your heart pure before the lord and so if we're if we see sin or we're a part of sin we certainly should not be celebrating that or rejoicing in that or joining in with that with someone like hey you know this this is some sin and we all i can give examples of this and we've all seen churches and heard of churches where you know adultery happens in churches and other people participate in it and cover it up and they, you know, rejoice in that or participate in it. So what Paul is saying is, listen, love is just not accepting everything and everyone. It is, it, it has these conditions of God's rule and God's law and God's, um, you know, his word. And it should not be, uh, love does not just accept it, but, and it certainly doesn't celebrate it. You know, it doesn't celebrate the sin. It, 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 it is love that is, loves you enough to tell the truth, you know. Um, If you had a child come in here, and I saw him go out the back door back there, and I saw, I knew he was going to get into the parking lot or out towards the road, I would have a responsibility to tell you, hey, I love you, but I don't want to hurt your feelings, but your kid just ran out in the middle of the parking lot, and the street out there, and he might get hit by a car, or he's going to get hit by a car. Um, And you would, you know, I would be obligated to tell you that. I wouldn't want to say, well, they might get mad at me, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings, you know, they think their kids never does anything wrong, which is wrong, right? Because I know my kids do wrong, and every kid does wrong. But in our culture, you know, it's always somebody else's fault, but I digress in that. But anyways, um, it it does not, it's one of those things that love just doesn't accept sin and rejoice sin and be a part of it. It has standards. It has the Word of God, and that's what I love about the Word of God. Now, the opposite of this is legalism, right? Um, If I stand up here, and just like like he says here as well, um, you know, it does not uh, rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. So that's the second part of it. It does not rejoice in iniquity, um, but it does rejoice in the truth, in God's Word. And you know, for us as a church, we've made a commitment to God's Word. Like, every um, sermon you're going to hear is coming from God's Word. Every child lesson that we teach comes from God's Word. Every youth lesson comes from God's Word. Every men's Bible study, every women's Bible study is going to come from God's Word. This is something that we rejoice in, and what a treasure we have in the Bible, right? Like, who doesn't want the truth? Like, I, I want to know the truth so that I, I know what it says, and even though sometimes I may not like it, I still rejoice in it, you know? And for me as a pastor, uh, one of the reasons why I chose Um, as far as just uh, being an expositional preacher, is that when when you preach through books of the Bible, you don't get to pick your topics. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to hear me stand up and say, all right, I'm going to have 12 topics on, you know, how to love yourself more. You know what I mean? Because that's not something you hear in the Bible, right? I mean, that's something that I could give you psychology, and I could give you, you know, some other things, but God's Word is what we rejoice, and what a treasure we have in God's Word. So, Sometimes you're going to come and you're going to get mad. Sometimes you're going to come and get sad. And sometimes you're going to come and be glad. But rejoice in the Word of God. We have it. We have the truth. That's something that we should all desire. And as a mature uh, body of Christ and one who's longing for the truth, it rejoices in that. We we want to hear it. We want to be a part of it. So does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Um, then he gives us uh, three things. He says... Uh, actually, four. I'm sorry. He, he says bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, so um, this is really talking about the maturity level of your faith, and uh, here in the church at Corinth. And so he begins with bears all things. Now, when we come to the word of "bear," it's a very, uh, it's a very um, interesting word because um, the word um, literally means to prop up or to. Uh, you know, I like to say shoulder the load. You know, like uh, it's it's something that comes along that no matter what the congregation or church family is 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 going through, or a person goes through, the church comes along beside it, and true love bears all things. Like we are able to come alongside someone when they're sick, or come alongside somebody when they're suffering, or come along beside somebody and we help shoulder the load. We help carry the burden. And, uh, you know, if you've never been uh, to this point before in your life, and buckle up because you're going to get there one day, um, that you realize that you need help, that someone is going to have to stand up or step up on your behalf to help you deal with something in your life. Maybe the loss of a spouse. It may be a loss of a son or a daughter. It may be, you know, a health crisis. It may be um, something in your in your career that leaves you leaves you shattered or a broken relationship. At some point in your life, you're going to get to a point where you need someone else to come beside you and help bear uh, bear that burden. And this is what's so great about a church that's mature, that has God's kind of love, is that when those things happen, uh, people don't walk out on you. They walk in with you right they walk with you through that and it bears this thing and it it, it it's a uh, it's it's an unselfishness willing to get involved in someone else's life to bear part of their burden and their and their, and their care and their and their pain and uh, you know it's a it, it's really the support part of it but it's also a protection part of it like they they're hurt in the world they're hurt by people but come into this safe place of God's people so that we can love you in a way that God loves you. So you, you're not judged and you're not put down or you're not, you know, feel like you have to have the weight of the world on you. And uh, I can tell you, it's a great thing to know that God's love, God loves you. And it's also a great thing to know that God's people love you. And uh, I've said this before in my own life, um, especially young, uh, early on when we started the church. And uh, most of you know, which is tonight was a, a great night because I got to go watch Tanner. Um, lift weights you know some of you may not know Tanner but he's my middle son he's 17 years old but uh, when he was younger uh, we were gearing him up ready to get him play uh, to try out for football which he was so excited about because I played football in college his older brother was playing football and uh, so he was excited to get started in football and I noticed him run I thought man he he looks like he's limping you know like is there something wrong with your leg and he's like ah you know, my knee's hurting. So he started complaining about his knee hurting. And so we took him to the doctor and we got an x-ray and said, There's nothing wrong with his knee at all. But he was complaining about pain. And so he's like, well, we need to go see a specialist. Let's go to Neomores and see if we can see a specialist. So we went to Neomores and the doctor knew right away. He's like, he's got pain in his knee. It's not his knee, it's his hip. And we're like, it's his hip? How in the world could it be his hip? His pain's in his leg and his knee. And he's like, well, He's got what we call leg Perthes disease. And so leg Perthes disease uh, takes and cuts off the blood supply to your top of your femoral bone. And so basically, for those that know Bo Jackson, he, he manually did this by running. Like he literally pulled the socket out of his hip and it pulled all the, you know, it killed all the blood vessels in the top of his femoral head. And that's why he had to retire from sports he couldn't do athletics anymore but this is a disease that attacks that those uh, those blood vessels around the top of that bone and so the doctor said well we got a couple options surgery's one of them we cut the bone in half and we turn it sideways and we try to shove it back up into the socket to make it you know make it form to his uh, you know to his uh, uh, to his hip socket better he said or um, we wait and see if it's grade one, grade two, or grade three, grade one is just a slight part of his, uh, you know, his top of his bone um, gets hurt as grade two's, you know, halfway and grade three's completely a face, which means the whole bone falls flat. So instead of having a, you know, a circle, he has just a flat top of his bone. So he said, well, we're, we're just going to wait. We want to see how bad it is. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and thought, Lord, you know, this is only going to be grade one at best. It's not going to hurt him. Well, a year later, we got the news, it's grade three. Like, it's the worst that it could be. And so I remember coming home from that, uh, you know, coming home from that, and the church had uh, something for us that night to um, do something for I don't even remember what it was, but Aaron's like, you know what? I don't even think I can go. (laughs) I'm like, well, kind of with you, but I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? But when we walked through the door and saw people that loved us and cared for us and began to bear our burdens, it was like, man, I never had to have other people help bear my load because my life has been in such a way that I've never really needed it. But once, I've, once I experienced it, it was just like, wow. I mean, God loves us, but then God also loves us through people and God's people And through a church, you know, you don't walk out on those that are wounded. You don't walk out on people who are going through pain. You don't walk out on people and leave them alone. When you're a family and you have love and you have God's kind of love, you walk beside them and lift them up and prop them up and you help shoulder the load. And man, what a difference it makes. It's not, hey, live your own life, do your own thing. That's your own problem. No, it's, hey, can I bring you a meal? Can I take your kids somewhere? Can I help you through this thing? And, And it bears all things. And let me tell you, I've experienced the love of God in my life through people and through God's people and and you too as well. When you see the maturity level of a church, he's saying, not all these things that are glitz and glamour, because you know, when you're up, everybody's a, a fan, right? And they're like, hey, they're cheering you on and everything's great and you're doing well and all this stuff is great and everything's great, but yet when you get down, look around and see who's there for you. And it should be God's people. It should be those who love God who stick with you regardless if you're up or down, and especially when you're down. So bears all things. That's a that's a great mark uh, of love, um, as well, even just in our own life. But I talked about it in a church life, but even in a marriage, even in a family. You know, as a husband, um, as a dad, as a mom, our kids need to know whatever they walk through, we're there for them, and we're going to bear those things. And I think. You know, uh, for me as a parent as well, I want my kids, even though Tanner couldn't play football, you know, he, he, he was experienced. Oh, I forgot to tell you. I, I started this story and forgot to tell you. Tonight, I got to watch him lift weights because he, he found something that he really, really liked. In high school, I lifted weights, and I actually won two state championships uh, from lifting weights. Now I'm a state champion in weight. Like, so I, I'm a state champion in weight now, but I used to be a state champion in weight lifting, uh, so he always told me, I'm, I'm going to lift more than you. And so I was like, okay, well, and I, I was bigger than he was. But I was like, all right, Tanner, yeah, yeah, okay. J- try out for the team. And he went on the team last year. He, he like went up like 60 pounds over a year. He qualified for state. He was in like top 10 in Florida. I was like, wow, he's got a chance of really doing well. Well, this year, um, tonight he had two personal bests. He did 380 pounds on bench press, which is pretty good for his size. And he also did 245 pounds on clean and jerk, which, with a flat hip is pretty dang good because he only has basically one leg that he uses to thrust off of. So um, he had a 625, 625 pound total. The kid who won it his weight class last night, uh, last year, had a, he was a senior, he had a 650 pound weight total. So Tanner's like really shooting to try to get to that 640, 650 mark. And so just to see him so excited to see him excel at something like that, I just think, you know, all the things that we went through, and now to see, you know, him to be able to, um, to rejoice in those things and see how, you know, through all that, Tanner still is able to do those things, so I'm excited for him, but anyhow, through the process of him getting to this point, like I told him, everybody's going to say, cheer you on, say how great you're doing, but remember, you know, one time you wasn't on top, and you're not always going to be on top, and that's why you need to be surrounded by God's people so they can help shoulder load and bear those things. And as parents, we need to do that as well. Uh, I think a lot of times for us as parents, our kids may not be exactly like us or have the same temperament as us. And uh, all three of my children have totally different personalities. And so, you know, a lot of times through their personalities, you might, you might uh, tend to like one more than the other just because they're more like you, but never have the point where you, ha- you, know, you love them all, you know equally not the same because you know kids take love differently and you know how I love on Tanner is different than how I love Tucker and how I love Tucker is different than how I love Courtney um, Courtney definitely I just listen I'm like uh, I, I take her to school in the morning I, I sit there in the in the uh, in the short period of time about 10 minutes I think she speaks at least 5,000 words in that time to my two words <laughs> I just I just listen you know dad you know dad you know dad and then of course, Tugger, uh taking them to school sometimes 20, 30 minutes, maybe one word or two words. So. <laughs> yeah, and Tanner, the same way. But anyways, you, you, you know, they all love, you know, you, you love them equally, but they're different. But never, if one of your kids struggle with something, don't walk out on them. Let, let them know that you're there for them. And you love them, and you're going to help bear that burden, whatever it may be. Whatever the pain may be, whatever they're struggling with. And the same with church. Don't walk out on people. Be there. To help bear, bear bear the load for those things, because that's a mark of maturity. That's a mark of being a true Christian. That's a mark of being a mature uh, Christian. Because you know, God don't walk out on us. Christ don't walk out on us. He's there with us when we're at the top, and He's there with us when He's at, when we're at the bottom. So, uh, love bears all things. Love believes all things. This one's interesting because um, you know when you get to the word um, believes here, um, it is it is literally the nuance of the Greek word here means. Um, trust and confidence in the goodness of people. Now, it's being willing to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? And I, I'm, I'm guilty of this, by the way, because sometimes you can get a text and you're like, what do you mean? You're know, like, what are you saying? You know, it used to be real bad with emails, right? Because you couldn't t- judge the tone of emails. Like, you know, are they mad? Are they glad? <laughs> or are they, you know, and you read it a certain way. And sometimes, Without, instead of communicating with the person, you can work yourself up into, a, uh, you know, into being upset and mad at someone, and they really didn't even mean it at all, you know? And, and so, uh, you know, that's not believing all things in people or the goodness people giving people the benefit of the doubt. And, and for us as Christians, we ought to think the best of one another. You know, we ought we ought not to think of, hey, this person's out to get me, or this person is doing this, or this person is trying to do that, to, so that they can have this, or they're trying to show off for this. No, it's believing that that person and the goodness of that of God in that person, and and you know, it's it's important for us to do that because uh, if we believe that and we act that way in a mature type of love, it sure cuts down on a lot of gossip, right? Because when someone comes to tell you, let me tell you about someone, say, like, oh well you know, I love that person, and I, I believe the best of that person, and I, I want that person to do the best, and I know their heart, and I know that they wouldn't do, mean that, or they wouldn't do it that way, you know, and it's believing the best of someone, not the worst of someone. When someone, you know, walks in, and they may not be able to have the best attitude, you know, to believe that, you know, they're having a bad day, they're, they're, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not doing the best, but yet that's not a character trait of them, but you want to believe the best in someone, and uh, you know, it works in your marriage as well, right? I mean, a lot of times, you know, some of the arguments me and Aaron get in over really is n- not even about anything other than me believing something that she might not be able to do, like make a decision where she wants to eat. But anyway, so uh, uh, that, that's always been a long process. It's been 22 years, and I'm still puzzled by it because, you know, women change. You realize that, right? I mean, you, you, you think you got them figured out, and they change. I mean, it's like, wait a minute, you changed the rules, like... This used to be the rules, and now it's changed. But anyways, I, I digress. And thankfully, Aaron's not here tonight, so I can say that. But anyways, you, you guys change. And so it's tough on us, man, is it not? Think about it. I mean, I mean, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. You got to give us a little bit of a break. You know, like you don't know what to do or what to get sometimes because it's part of it. But anyhow, giving your spouse the benefit of the doubt, believing the best of them. You know, that, that they did not have a bad intention when they said something or when they told you that you're, you know, yeah, and there's questions women ask that you should never answer, right? Like, <laughs> does this make me look fat? Like, you're like, never answer that. Just look straight ahead. Like, huh? <laughs> like my age now, I say, like, well, I've been working with tile saws a lot, and I'm deaf. You know, like I can't hear. It's like se- selective deafness. You know what I mean? Because there are questions you hear, and you're like, huh? What? No, I I didn't know what he said. But anyhow, when you have you know a spouse, and you have a, a a wife, or a husband, I mean, to believe the goodness in them, doesn't make it, it makes it so much sweeter, right, than believing always that they're out to get you or they're out to do something to you or they're out to, you know, they mean, they mean something by what they say or what they do. And so when you're always suspicious of someone's motives, what, what kind of peace could you have with that? And when you go home from church and you say, man, I wonder what they meant when he said that. You know, I wonder what she said when she said this. I wonder if she thinks this or that. And then if you think of the bad, because I'm going to tell you, the devil will help you think of the bad, right? It's not going to encourage you to think of good. So as a Christian, a mark of true love is believing the best in someone, you know? Um, And I think for us, a great example of this in the Bible is Job's friends. You remember Job's friends? They came to him and said, we love you and we care for you, but you've been doing something wrong, Job, because nobody would be treated like this by God unless they did something wrong. Job's like, I did nothing. Like, I, I have not, I've searched my heart, but his, his friends, all three of them went away and said, he's done something, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, they believed the worst of Job, you know? Instead of believing the best of Job, then that's the way we should be. Not, not always suspicious of somebody's motives, but to love them and to uh, have maturity to think the best of them, regardless of what we may think, or what we may not think. So, uh, third thing, hope uh, hopes all things. And, um, you know, the word um, hopes here is, uh, hope is, uh, is just a very interesting um, word, because um, hope, be, uh, hope goes beyond human reasoning. So, when you hope all things, or you're hoping for all things in love, that means you never give up on God's power to change somebody or to do something in someone's life or his power um, to be restored um, in someone's life. Like you, you never give up on them. You, you always um, have that hope that God is at work or going to work in their life. And, and even in our hope that we have for people, you know, um, for some people that have a prodigal child, you know. Your hope that they will return to the Lord and people's hope that they return to the Lord um, is always one that believes that God is going to work in their life. And, and we, you know, it gives us this hope to keep putting one foot in front of the other each and every day. And, uh, you know, hope is a big thing because, you know, I've heard people say you can live without food, you can live without water, you can live without um, certain things, but you can never live without hope. When you get to the point where you think there's no hope or people think there's no hope, then it's a sad state. And so, you know, for us as Christians, we ought to have that hope because we know God and we know we're not, we're not, the, we're, we're not over it all. And yet we know he is. And regardless of the situation, regardless of what happens, we can always have hope that God can do something, that God can change a life. And that's why when every, anybody and every person walks in here, you can look them in the eyes, and I can look them in the eyes and know that the gospel can change their life, regardless of where they're at and regardless of what they've done. And God can change any situation. There are, there are situations in our church that we have faced that I thought, you know what, this, is, this just can't be done. Like this is absolutely something that there's no way we can physically do this, but there was still a hope that we had that God could do something. And that's the hope you got to have in, in in true love you you have this hope that no matter how bad it is, you have a hope that God will always do that and what a what a great way to what a great way to be at church, right to be with other believers that you know you always hope these things you always have that ability to think that God can intervene and he will intervene at some point in time and it gives us hope for change and hope for um, uh, in difficult situations then. The last one endures all things. and um, this is uh, really um, as well uh, uh, a military term uh, that means of holding a vital position um, at all costs. Because you know, as, as a church goes and as a life goes and as Christianity goes, you know, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to make that commitment, that no matter what happens, you're going to endure, that you're going to. Um, you're going to endure the hardship. You're going to endure the suffering. And you're going to hold fast to those things at all costs. You're not going to give up. You're not going to move away. You're not going to, um, you know, uh, fold up the tent and mail in, the, you know, <laughs> mail in your resignation. It's just you're going to stick there. And one thing about it, you'll always be there. Um, one example of this I think about in the Bible is Stephen. You remember Stephen, the first deacon in the Bible? Um, they got Stephen, and they brought him there, and they were going to um, stone Stephen. And in the midst of that, he still looked, and he still had this enduring hope in God and this endurance that only come from God. And, and, and he prayed as he died, Lord, do not hold this against them. I mean, that's a that's taking a stand. You know, that's believing in God and enduring through a lot of stuff. And so, you know, for us as a Christian, I think that's one um You know, one vital thing that's a mark of maturity in our life that, you know, when when it comes to a battle, we're not the first ones to run away and hide, right? That we've been through battles. We have been through these things before. And we have this maturity level to say, I'm ready for the fight because I know that true love will endure. And I'm going to be with you forever. And I'm going to be with you. And, uh, you know, in church, it's great to see people like that. It's been great for me as a pastor to see people like that. I've literally had people come to our church and say, Pastor, whatever happens, I'm going to be with you. Next Sunday, you can't find them. And the next <laughs> Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that. And it's always funny, because people come to church, sometimes you think, well, they're never going to last. The one you don't think is going to last usually last. You know what I mean? And then you're like, wow, God, you really, but the ones you really think is going to be with you, I'm not going to name any names. But anyways, <laughs> I, I really think the people come, and they're like, hey, we're going to be in it for the long haul. Or we're going to help you do this, and we're going to support you do this. And I'm like, wow man, I'm just ready to go, and then all of a sudden, nah, first thing, they're out. They give up on you. You know, that's a mark of immaturity. I mean, if you truly love someone, you don't give up on them. Um, same is true in your family. I mean, your kids need to see that, that when you have a faith and commitment to Christ, that it's going to endure. That, yes, you know, as a Christian, we're not going to have uh, all roses and all good things going to happen in the midst of trials and pain and suffering, and hard times, they need to see that you have something that is, is, is something that's a commitment, that you endure through those things. You have this love that will last through those things. Regardless of what it may be, you're never going to quit. You're never going to give up. You're never going to run away from your responsibilities. And you know, as a husband, that's important. As a, as a wife, that's important. As a mom, that's important. As a dad, it's important. It breaks my heart. when, I, Without fail, you hear people talking about, you know, their dad, uh, you know, leaving them behind and their mom not having anything to do with them. You know, as, as true love, we, that never happens. You always endure. You always commit. And even in a church, you're committed to stay even to the, through it all, through everything, that, that regardless of what happens, you have this confidence in other people that's going to stand by your side and going to be with you in the fight and in the battle. And, uh, you know, I always think of that song, Lord's got an army, it's not afraid to fight, right? And, uh, you know, that's, I think about that a lot, going to, going to battle. And I think about that with our teenagers and our kids. I mean, Miss Vance, she's not afraid of the battle, right? I mean, she goes in there with teenage girls and Josh and the kids and working with these things. I mean, you know, and you step up for the Lord, especially in the time that we live in, and the things that we, uh, our culture, you're going to be attacked you know, and you got to be willing to have a commitment. You got to be willing to say, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to endure and I'm going to teach and I'm going to serve God regardless of what may come and I'm committed to it and I'm not walking out and I'm not giving up on, on, on anyone. And, uh, you know, I think for me in ministry, that's just been something I've been able to do is uh, I just haven't quit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I literally, I've known pastors and see pastors and they, they quit, they give up. But yet, Lord, Lord willing, um, I'm just dumb enough not to quit, right? I'm dumb enough to believe that no matter what happens, I'm going to be able to endure through those things, and I'm going to stick it out to the end, you know? Like, I don't understand people. I, I look at, you know, pastoring this church as like a marriage. Like, God called me to this church, and I ain't leaving this church until, you know, you guys come up here and look at me dead in the box or whatever. But some of you might arrange that sometimes. But anyways, I, I'm, I feel that way, and I don't know how. And some pastors are called differently, but not, not me personally. Um, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm in it for the long haul, that like God called me to do this, and no matter what happens, um, sink or swim, I'm going to give it all my all until the very end, it endures, like I'm not going to give up on people that God has given me, the pastor, and that God has given me to be a shepherd, and God has given me those things, and I feel the same way with those things, and that's what Paul is saying, hey, these people coming in and out, and they're there for a moment, and they're leaving, those are not committed people, Like, like those people shouldn't drive how you believe about people and drive how you do church and drive how you do these things because they're not committed. I mean, go with the ones that's been through some battles with it. You know what I mean? Like go with the ones that stuck with you, that's endured and be a part of the church body that, that are not going to run and, and, and give up easily. Like love truly endures. So those are the four things, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and, um, in in endures all things. I've read a little quote in, um, in, in a commentary. It says this, Love bears what is unbearable. It believes what is unbelievable. It hopes in what is hopeless. It endures when anything else and everyone else would give up. And after love bears, it believes. After it believes, it hopes. And after it hopes, it endures. And after endurance... It's the ending climax of meeting Jesus face to face. Wow. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, when you, when you really think about how this whole thing works out in our life and the, and the permanence of love as well. So I want to cover one phrase before we get to our ones next week. That's just the first um, three words of, chapter, of verse eight. It says, love never fails. And you think about that. You know, love never fails. I'm so thankful to God that, in Jesus Christ, his love never failed. You know, think about that. I mean, he, he came and he gave up all that he had in eternity. He laid aside his deity. He laid aside these things. He didn't give it up. He, he laid it aside temporarily as he came to this earth. He could have at any moment said, I'm out, right? But yet he never gave up. He never fa- It never failed. He went through the pain. He went through the suffering. He went to the cross. He had God pour out his wrath upon him and he never failed. He never failed one time. And in my life, in my salvation, Jesus has never failed. He, he saved me. He keeps me. He's going to keep me. He's going to, he's going to bring me to heaven one day. He's, he doesn't give up on me and sanctify me. He doesn't give up on me and, and put me aside. It never, ever fails. And for us as Christians, I mean, we should always praise God and to rejoice in that God's love has never failed. And in people's life, it comes in your life that never fails as well. And to see that kind of love, that, that's the permanence of love. All these other things are going to fail. And I think for us that has been through a lot of experiences in our life and seen, you know, just all the, the glitz and the glamour, you know, and all the trinkets that the world can give us, you know, we think like, hey, you know, we'll really have joy in our marriage when we get a big house, you know. And then you get a big house, and you realize you got a big payment, right? And you got a big payment. And you got this maintenance. You got to take care of all this stuff. It's just stuff. Like it's okay to have those things, but that's not going to give you something with permanence uh, uh, permanent satisfaction of love, you know, in our life as well. Popularity. I mean, our world loves popularity. It loves loves fame and fortune, but that's that's not permanent, you know. They'll forget about you. And I I think about this all the time because when you really think about it. Could you name the last 10 Super Bowl MVPs? I mean, they say Sunday is like the greatest Sunday uh, of the world, right? The whole world watches Sunday Super Bowl. Could you list off the last 10 Super Bowl MVPs? I'm sure Brady would be in there somewhere. But, anyways, you get one or two. But could you remember all 10? All right? All right. So, I mean, can you can remember them. Like, who even remembers that Georgia won the national championship this year, right? I'm just teasing. How about you, Georgia fans? <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. I can remember when Florida won it. <laughs> oh man, those are glory days. But anyways, but uh, I, I, I just you know who could remember those things? And even at your job, like a lot of people, how'd you work? And you think you're irreplaceable. But guess what? If you died today, or you left tomorrow, they'd have already somebody taking your place. You know? And and it's just everything the world gives those little trinkets. You know, like like going to the fair. If you're willing to give all this money to wear the te- you know win this teddy bear or to get the goldfish, and within 24 hours, it's you know the stuffing's falling apart, goldfish dies, you know the <laughs> kids are all mad, and you're like, okay, we'll go get another one. <laughs> like, well, I don't know. Last time I went to the fair, I won like eight of them, and I had one that made it for like seven months. You know, and I was just kept every morning I was waiting like, is that floating? <laughs> Funny part is they get you know they start floating on their side and they go a little bit like this and a little bit like that. I'm like, oh boy, it's going down. <laughs> like, I think it'll get a little better. But I mean, you think about it as a kid, all those things are so glamorous. Like those are going to make me happy. Those are going to be fun. Oh, dad, I would love it. I want I want it, I want that's, it. That's the way, this is what Paul's described. As immature in Christ, lusting after all these things of the world, you think all these little trinkets are going to make something of the world, but yet they don't mean anything. Because if you don't have love, they're like, like you said, they're just they're just like a symbol, brass tinging, and a and a you know a part of uh, a things that have no no meaning to it. But when you put love into it, you know you get these things. It is long suffering. It is kind. It is, it does not envy. It does not parade itself. It does not puff itself up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It does not pro- uh, easily provoke. It thinks no evil. It rejoices in iniquity. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails, and what a promise you know God's kind of love what a promise we have, and that's what we should strive for in our church that's what we should strive for in our maturity as a Christian that's what we should strive for in our homes that's what we should strive for um, you know together as a body of christ and and that's what Paul is telling them like don't fall for all these things that are just temporary and they're just uh passing. go for the meat of it the meat of it is god's love, love. so Next week, we're going to continue on. We're going to talk a little bit more about it as he um, finishes out this thing. He gives an example um, and then begins in chapter 14 as well. So we're going to dig into that next week. But this week, let's pray. And then uh, we'll give a couple minutes here uh, to talk about um, love and this uh, lesson as well and see if you've got any questions or comments about it. So let's pray.